I want you to think for a second with me. We're going to be thinking about people in our life. I want you to picture somebody in your life who is uh, maybe unique to you or maybe is maybe unique to your family. Not somebody that everybody would know. Somebody who maybe only you or a few people know. But somebody, not just anybody, somebody who you would, um, you would describe as like a quietly faithful person. I want you to picture somebody who, 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 you, who you know isn't known by their whole community, but they, but they do the small things. So the kind of person that, that if you are confident God looks down and is pleased with somebody, it's this person. I want you to get a picture in your head. Think about it for a second. This person is just quietly faithful, and they, um, they just do the behind-the-scenes stuff. The kind of person that... Um, like even the people they're serving don't even realize the contribution that they make. I want you to get a picture of somebody. I want you to, I want you to actually think of their name. And uh, this morning, I want you to name them. So tell me their name. Who is that person? Just one name. My sister Your sister Heather. Give me a name, a first name. Diane. Diane. It's one name, yeah? Lori. Lori. Picture somebody. I want to hear their name. Say their name. Yeah? Laura. Laura. Any faithful men? <laughs> Sharon. Yeah? Louise. Yeah? <laughs> you don't have to name your spouse, but if you're looking to score brownie points this morning, you're welcome. Case. Case. Yeah? Shirley. Shirley. Nathan, John, I love the way um, Luke, Luke structures this uh, part of the story we're going to look at today. The author of the book of Acts um, is Luke. I'm going to get the slides up. This morning we're looking at uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 36 to 43. And I love the way that Luke structures this section of Acts. Um, here's a secret. There's uh, nothing unintentional in the scriptures. The, um, the, the, both, both God and the writers of scriptures are very intentional about, about the things that they put and where they put them. It's not just by chance that what we're going to see this morning is in the place that it is. It's a little secret for you about the scriptures. So what we see here this morning is a story that follows Acts chapter 9. The beginning of Acts chapter 9 is uh, the conversion from Saul to Paul. We looked at that a week ago or so. Now, I think everybody here knows who St. Paul is, right? St. Paul is the heavyweight of all heavyweights. The Apostle Paul is is the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. Uh, He is the single most influential person on Christian doctrine and theology and the church today outside of Jesus himself. That's who Paul is. We're talking about the guy who was the Christian killer who became the greatest saint that we know, the most used name outside of Jesus in the Christian faith. This is who we're talking about. And we're talking about um, in chapter 9, the beginning of chapter 9, is this conversion from Saul to Paul, this conversion from killing Christians to becoming one. Chapter 9 is like the turning point of the whole story. The whole story of Acts is about the beginning of the church. And chapter 9, the beginning of it, is the turning point 
where God calls Saul and then he starts the missionary journeys to the rest of the Gentile world and takes the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we today are sitting here worshiping as a result of his ministry. So that's what happens in chapter 9. Okay, Big deal. Really big deal. But then what Luke does is right after that, he transitions our attention back to the ministry of the Apostle Peter. And he turns it to two stories. There's two stories that uh, have a lot of parallels with what happened in Jesus' ministry in the Gospels, and we're going to see that today. The first story is a story of Peter, by the power of God, healing a paralytic man, Aeneas, in a town called uh, Lydda. And so Peter goes there, prays for this man, says, get up and make your bed. All the moms in the house said, amen, right? Get up and make your bed. And, uh, and he did. The paralytic man got up and made his bed. And uh, the result of that was that all, it says all of the town of, of Lydda and the neighboring town of Sharon, they believed. That was the result of, of what Peter did uh, in the story before the one we're looking at today. And then we have the story of a woman named Dorcas. We're going to be focusing on Dorcas this morning. There's a few notes about Dorcas that you need to know. First of all, Dorcas is a Greek name, and there's also a Hebrew equivalent of the name Dorcas, and that is Tabitha. So we're looking at Dorcas and Tabitha, same person. One's a Greek name, one's a Hebrew name. The name Tabitha means gazelle, which is a pretty beautiful name. So Tabitha the gazelle. I want you to picture that today in the story. Tabitha is found in a town called Joppa. Joppa is a port city. It's about 30 miles kind of northwest of Jerusalem. Something interesting about the town of Joppa, or the port city of Joppa, is that it's one of the oldest towns that we actually know about. There are artifacts that archaeologists dig up from like 7500 B.C., found in the town of Joppa. And that's like, a, in, in, in archaeological terms, that's a really long time ago to find artifacts. And so the point is that people have been inhabiting this town, this port city of Joppa, for like 10,000 plus years. And we know about it. So it's been a key town in the region for many, many years. It's also a, um, a really diverse town. Being a port, it is uh, full of both ethnic diversity, because you've got sailors coming from all over the place. It's full of economic diversity. You've got poor sailors and rich ship owners all meeting in the same place. It's full of religious diversity, because back in that day, ethnic diversity meant religious diversity. Different gods were worshipped in different regions, and they're all gathering in this one place. Something else that's interesting about the town of Joppa is, uh, has, uh, does anybody recall the name Jaffa? The city of Jaffa. The city of Jaffa is the port city where Jonah took off from. If you know the story of Jonah, it's the, it's the story where God says, Jonah, go preach the gospel to Nineveh and tell them to repent of their ways or they're all going to die. And Jonah says, no. And he goes to Jaffa, the port city of Jaffa, and he takes off to the other side of the earth as far as he could go to Tarshish. Same town, different name. So that's where Tabitha is found. So what we have here in the story is we've got this mountaintop story of Paul 
being converted. And then what the author does is he, t- he turns our attention away from Paul and we zoom in on this dirty, debaucherous port city called Joppa. I don't want to offend any sailors in the room. Is there any sailors in the room? Okay, so I won't offend anybody. Sailors were known for certain things. And it wasn't to live cl- uh, lives of, of uh, uh, cleanliness and, and class and, uh, and morality, right? You can understand the sailor life. So that's Joppa. That's where, we're, that's where we're zooming in on. And we're zooming in on a woman named Tabitha in the upstairs of a room, presumably dead, in, uh, in the city. Tabitha was known for something. She wasn't known for nothing. She wasn't just a nobody. Tabitha was known by a few people in the town. And what she was known for, the scripture says, is that she was known for her, um, her acts of charity and her good deeds. So she was known by a few people. Most of those people were widows, is what we see in the scriptures. The reason we know that is because when Peter shows up on the scene... Tabitha's bed upstairs is surrounded by a group of widows who were weeping, who were sad that she died. And what the widows were doing was they were showing Peter the tunics that Tabitha made. So what we can derive from the story is that Tabitha was known to make tunics, to make clothing for underprivileged people, particularly widows, in this port town of Joppa. That's what she's famous for. So she wasn't a nobody, But she wasn't a somebody. She was just a quiet, faithful servant of God in the port town of Joppa, serving the lowly, the widows, and the underprivileged. Prior to the section of text, like we talked about, Peter is is healing somebody in a town like 15 miles away. And then he gets a messenger who comes to him. And this messenger says, hey, there's this woman. She's a faithful person. She's known for all of her good deeds, and she died. And we need you to come. Now you can imagine Peter, he's on this journey. Peter at this point has healed people, seen people healed by his prayer. But Peter at this point had not brought somebody back to life from the dead, right? Little different. I don't know about you, but like I'm all game for praying for someone to be healed because I feel called to do that. I'm responsible to that and I trust that God sometimes uses that to heal people. I've not felt comfortable praying for somebody who's already dead. And that's not, I don't know if that's weird, I don't know if that's wrong, but it feels a little different, doesn't it? Must have felt a little bit different to Peter too, right? He's seen things before, but he's never actually, he's never actually prayed for someone who's dead and brought them back to life. So you can imagine him stopping for a second and going, really, that's what I'm here to do? But he does it anyway. He heads there, he heads into this upper room, It says, he's surrounded by these women, and he has a choice to make. He can do something about it, or he can't. So picturing Peter with the mix of emotions in the bedside of Tabitha, one advantage that Peter has on his side. Peter has seen somebody healed before, from death. Peter has witnessed the resurrection before. Somebody go from death to life. It's an interesting story. We're going to turn to the Gospel of Mark. This is Mark chapter 5. So Peter was one of a few people who was with Jesus in a very similar situation. I'm going to read this for us. It says, while he, Jesus, was still speaking, people came 
from Jairus' house saying to the synagogue leader, what's happening is this, the synagogue leaders come to Jesus and he says, my daughter is sick, she's 12 years old, I need you to come and heal her, you're the healer, you can do this. And so he's asking Jesus to do this, there's other commotion happening, and then people from Jairus' house, they come to him and they say, hey man, your daughter's not sick anymore, she died. So stop troubling this teacher any longer. And then Jesus says, but Jesus, paying no attention to what was said, told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, John, and the brother of James. So he takes those four, and they head to the house of the synagogue leader. And he sees noisy confusion and people weeping and wailing loudly, much like the widows. And when he entered, he said to them, why are you guys distressed and weeping? The child's not dead. She's just asleep. And they began making fun of him because she was dead, right? She, according to their understanding, she was dead. Like they checked for a pulse. They knew how to check for pulses thousands of years ago. That's that, they knew that that's what life and death was. So she was dead. And they're making fun of him. But he says, get outside. He forces them all outside, it says. And then he took the child's father and mother and his companions, Peter included, takes them upstairs. And then gently taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha comb, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And the girl at once began to walk around. She was 12 years old. So here's Peter. He's, have, he's witnessed this before. And this is also the Peter who like, witnessed the resurrected Jesus before, right? This is, he, he knows the resurrected Jesus. He was one of the people to see him resurrected. So he, he knows in this reality and this potential. And he was there at Pentecost, right? When, when the Holy Spirit came down and the power of the Holy Spirit came on the church and they started to heal people all over the place, he was present for that. So he knows the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's seen a resurrection happen before. But here is Peter sitting with his Tabitha. He's next to the, the bed of his Tabitha. Now, did you catch the name of the girl in the gospel story? Talitha Com is what Jesus said, which means here it says, little girl, I say to you, get up. There's more going on to the story than meets the eye at first. Um, Talitha, the name Talitha, is actually an Aramaic name for female lamb. And so when you read this text in Aramaic, you would see a picture of a female lamb. Not quite a gazelle, but a female lamb. Now this gets eerie and interesting, and this is not a gotcha moment. This made me feel a little weird when I looked into it. But Talitha is also the name of two stars. The Talitha Borealis and the Talitha Australis, which are in the Ursa Major. Any nerds here? Star nerds here? Victor, you're a nerd, right? Star nerd? No? Just a bug nerd, right? Big difference. <laughs> so check this out. The name Talitha is uh, an Arabic word. And it's in the phrase, it's known in the, uh, the Arabic phrase, I don't, I don't speak Arabic, so don't, don't get mad at me. Al-Kavza al-Talitha. That phrase is, means the third leap of the gazelle. It's referring to an Arabic story about a startled gazelle which leapt three times to different points in the constellation. So there's a constellation out there. In the real world, in the Arabic world, and the name of the constellation is Talitha. 
And the picture is a leaping gazelle. So, Talitha Combe may very well be understood as little gazelle, not little lamb, little gazelle. And so we could be reading this as Jesus saying, little gazelle, get up and walk. None of this is by accident. Everything's on purpose. So Jesus raised Talitha from the dead, the 12-year-old girl. And Peter is sitting next to Tabitha. This is where the apprentice becomes the practitioner. The mentee, they become the leader. Peter clears out the room just like Jesus did in the story. If you read the story, Jesus says, get out of the room. I'm here on my own. And he kneels next to the bed. And he says, exactly like Jesus said, gazelle, get up. Tabitha, get up. I so badly want there to be um, cinematic music at this point. We should get the tech team to play cinematic music because you can picture what's happening here. You picture Peter and he's he's like a close-up on his eyes, right? And And then you picture Tabitha and she's laying there on the bed and her eyes are closed. And you just feel the building cinematic music. And then you go back to Peter and he's starting to sweat. Like, is this going to work? Because this is the moment, right? This is the moment. This is, this is where his ministry has been leading to. He's been an apprentice under Jesus. He's been doing some things like Jesus. But he's never raised somebody from the dead, right? And you go back and forth. And the anticipation grows. And you're wondering, what's going to happen here? And then you get a close-up of Tabitha's eye. And you get a little bit of a, a twitch, right? But then it goes back to Peter, and you're like, did she open her eye? And then it goes back. And then boom, her eye opens, right? That's what happens in the story, and that's how you're supposed to read the story. Tabitha, she opened her eyes, and she got up. And you can imagine um, Peter's face, shocked, stunned, amazed, maybe relieved. Like, wow, that's the moment. So she sits up in the story. Peter grabs her hands, helps her stand up, and they call everybody into the room with them. And everybody in the room is like, wow, this is amazing. I'm assuming they all worshiped God in that moment. And then what happened from there, the story goes, is that they told everybody what happened. And it said many in the town of Joppa believed. The result of the story is that many throughout Joppa believed in the Lord. It's no coincidence that the story is following the conversion of Paul, who we know as the primary missionary to the Gentile world. Because what happens in Joppa doesn't stay in Joppa. What happens in Joppa goes all over the world. What happens here is that God uses a faithful apprentice to Jesus to heal another faithful apprentice to Jesus. I don't know what the Holy Spirit wants you to walk away with today. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know where you're at with the Lord. I don't know where he's been guiding you most recently. But I think there's a few things from this story that I sense we should probably walk away with. In regards to Peter, Peter's story is a powerful example of faithful obedience to the Lord over many years of apprenticeship. 
I can't believe that Peter knew like decades ago when he was just an awkward teenage boy going through puberty, standing beside Jesus, his rabbi, watching him do these things. I can't imagine Peter was there like, oh yeah, this is how I have to do this. I'm taking notes so that when it comes my turn, I'll know exactly what to do. I could imagine just like your awkward teenage boys that they're just standing there watching not having any clue on what's going to happen in their life, not having any clue on why they're even there, just kind of like, oh my gosh, that just happened? What Peter didn't know is that Jesus was training him for something, right? He was apprenticing to Jesus, he was following Jesus, and he was soaking it all in. He didn't know he was going to have to use it. And he uses it so many years later. He had no idea that, that, that God would literally lead him to his very own gazelle, right? That he was supposed to raise from the dead. And that all those years of ministry and training and apprenticing and listening and learning were for this very moment. He didn't know that, but it was for that. Maybe you find yourself always in always in the mess of things. Maybe you find yourself the person who people are always calling upon for help. Maybe you find yourself as the person who's just trying to be faithful and sometimes you think, am I the only faithful person in the room? Am I the only one pursuing Jesus? Am I the only apprentice here under Jesus? And you're constantly being asked to do more. You're constantly involved in more broken relationships. You're constantly being the one who has to be generous again and do that thing and learn more. And you're looking around and you're wondering, is anybody else with me here? Am I the only one doing this, right? I don't know if you find yourself like that. I find myself feeling that way at times. Am I the only one here doing this? Am I the only, do I have to keep learning and listening? Is there any purpose to this? Is there any end to this? Or am I just supposed to be in a perpetual state of learning? Because I'm bored of learning. And I want to see some action. <laughs> I feel that way at times. You can imagine Peter feeling that way in his ministry. He got to see some cool stuff. But there was a lot of years in between. You don't know when Jesus is going to call you to bring somebody back to life. And I mean that in the most considerable way possible. I mean that you have no idea when Jesus is going to use you to bring somebody back to life. And I mean that in very practical ways. I got a call this week again. There's a young man who I've been mentoring for like 10 years. I wouldn't even call it mentoring at this point. I would just call it when he's in a time of need, he calls me. This man struggled a lot. He didn't have an easy life. And he's still struggling. And this young man, every time he calls, it's like a relief that he's still alive, honestly. But then in our conversation, my heart breaks over again because I'm like, man, I just want to see this kid past the season and into a new one where he's not on the brink of death. And I don't just say that casually. This kid is on the brink of death. Every time he calls. And there's a lot of times, I was telling Spencer this last week, there's a lot of times I feel helpless. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what my role is here. I don't know how to help him. I feel like I've done everything I can and nothing's worked. And I'm just afraid. This week as I was studying and I was getting this call again after six months of not hearing from this kid. He called me this week. And I'm like, man, 
I don't know if answering the call is the thing that's keeping them alive, but it might be. Like, I don't know if just answering the call and being a steady presence is the, is the tiny glimmer of hope he needs to keep going. But it might be, you know? And I feel compelled by God to keep answering the call and to keep doing whatever I can to help this kid. God might be using that to literally save a life, you know? Bring back somebody from death to life, these little interactions, and it's just your faithfulness that does it. So you don't know who the Tabitha in your life is. You may not know, and it may not be right now. But God is preparing you in this season of apprenticeship to literally save lives. Peter didn't know it. It took a lot of years. And then he's sitting there at the bed of Tabitha the gazelle, responsible to do what he was trained to do, and he did it. Maybe this morning you identify with Tabitha. Maybe you don't identify with Peter as much, but you identify with Tabitha. Maybe you're serving tirelessly and nobody has any idea and you're exhausted. Maybe you yourself, you feel sick. Like maybe you're just spent. We're celebrating Mother's Day in this room. If there's something that is true of motherhood, it is that you are giving your all, all the time, and you're constantly spent, and you don't know if there's going to be relief, especially when your kids are young. Like, how do I do this for 10 more years, 20 more years? How does anyone survive this? Maybe you've been that faithful person and no one really pays attention. Nobody really sees it. You're the person who's called to be generous again. You're the person who's called to set up again. You're the person who's called to give again. And you're just done. Or you're at your end, maybe. Or maybe you're just actually sick. You're like, what's God going to do here? And you're sitting, you're praying for a Peter to show up, right? You're like, God, send somebody to relieve me of this. Bring me back to life. I need your life again. I need your love again. I need to, I need to know that you see me, that you're paying attention. You can imagine Tabitha for years on her own in this dirty, debaucherous port city of Joppa. There's not a lot of Christians around at this point, guys. Paul hadn't done his missionary journeys. It's just her and a few people, and they're serving the lowliest of lowly, giving everything they have to make clothes for people to put a shirt on their back, and she's sick, and she's dying, and she's tired. And then she's done. She probably all along was waiting for Peter to show up to relieve her somewhat, and didn't. And then right at the end there, right, the story goes right at the end there, God sends this Peter to her and brings her back to life. And we don't know that much more about her story afterwards, but I imagine she took her life and she used it 100% for the work of God for the rest of her life. And the impact that her story had went to the ends of the earth. Think about this for a second. The faith that you have today, the heritage of your faith today, may be the result of Tabitha's story and the way faith spread from that port city in Joppa. We don't know that, but that could be the very heritage of some of your faith today. And that was just her staying faithful and trusting God. And the, maybe the thing you need to know this morning is that God does see you. Like you are seen. Tabitha was seen. God knew when he had to send somebody, and he sent him at the right time. And maybe you just need this morning. Maybe you don't need to know, like, God's going to send you a Tabitha who you're going to save their life and rescue them. Maybe you just need to know that God's going to send somebody to care for you, that God is there for you. He's watching over you. He knows what you're doing. And it matters. 
And the reason you're doing it all is for the end result anyway. Tabitha wasn't doing anything for any other reason than the word of the Lord to be spread. And your faithfulness, sorting clothes in our basement so that the faith of the Lord is spread. Your faithfulness doing dishes once in a while here so the faith of the Lord to be spread. Your faithfulness in serving your family and giving them everything even though they spit in your face and throw food on the ground <laughs> is so that the faith of the Lord can be spread to the ends of the earth. So my prayer for us this morning is that we can walk away feeling seen and hopeful for what God wants to use our apprenticeship to Jesus for in the immediate future and in the long-term future because we never know when a Tabitha is going to show up. Let me pray for us. Lord, we just showed up this morning out of faith. We showed up here this morning because out of duty, out of responsibility, but out of faith. We, um, man, there's times when things are going and we so, we, we can see so clearly the result of our faithfulness, the fruit of our faithfulness, the time, the effort, and the work that we're putting in. And then there's times, Lord, where we don't feel any of it. And we wonder, why do we got to keep doing this? Do we have to keep doing this? We're tired. We're exhausted. We're not sure. Maybe there's another better way. Maybe there's something else to do. Maybe there's somebody else who needs help. And Lord, I just pray that this church here finds their confidence in what you've called them to. Maybe there are people who need to ask the question, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And they need to refocus and recenter their lives on something you've asked them to do. Maybe that's it. Maybe they're worn out because they're not listening to what you want them to do. They're not apprenticing under you. If people need to hear that, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit makes it clear to them. But for the rest of us who really feel like we're trying our best here, I pray that this morning we walk away feeling seen, walk away feeling known. The stories you want to tell are not just the conversion of Saul. The story you want to tell is Tabitha. And you want us to model our life after her. And live a life just like her. And we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen.